Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, it is Friday on the Three Martini Lunch. The good news is the work week is just about over. The bad news... We've got three bad martinis for you, and two of them involve Joe Biden in what would normally be a pretty soft interview from Lester Holt of NBC News. Not usually the guy that uh, sends Democrats into fits and starts, but, you know, when it's Joe Biden, you just never know what you're going to get. So in bad martini number one here, Jim, Lester Holt does the unthinkable. He quotes Joe Biden back to Joe Biden. (laughs) on the issue of inflation. Here's that exchange. I think it was back in July you said inflation was going to be temporary. I think a lot of Americans are wondering what your definition of temporary is. Well, you're being a wise guy with me a little bit. Uh, I understand that's your job. But look, uh, at the time, what happened was the, uh, let's look at the reason for the inflation. The reason for the inflation is the supply chains were cut off, meaning that The products, for example, automobiles, the lack of computer chips to be able to build those automobiles so they could function, they need those computer chips. They were not available. So what happens? The number of cars were reduced, the new cars reduced. It made up at one point one-third the cost of inflation because the price of automobiles were up. So not only does Joe Biden have a whole word salad uh, of an excuse as to why inflation is the worst that it is in 40 years, he refers to Lester Holt as a wise guy uh, for asking for a definition of uh, of transitory or or uh, temporary inflation. Really tough question there. I'm sure he wasn't ready for that at all. At least he should have been ready for it. Greg, when Biden was running for president in 2020, actually really going back to 2019, we noticed he was not doing nearly as many interviews as you would expect one of the leading candidates of his party to, t- to do. And he wasn't looking like the same old Joe Biden we were used to on the debate stage. He was a little slower. He was a little not as quick on his feet. And he may not have been the, uh, the quickest or sharpest mind to begin with. And you started seeing this argument of, oh, Biden is hiding from the press. And the pandemic came along and Biden very rarely did campaign events. He was only appearing by, by Zoom. And even during those, he could get himself in trouble with, you know, if you ain't voting for me, you ain't black, man. And and all these kinds of, you know, comments that I think very often played off Biden seeming to think that the questioner liked him a lot more than the questioner actually did. (laughs) Uh, Stuff that kind of seemed like joking around, but there was this like persnickety is a good word, you know, cantankerousness that was beneath it. Uh, that I think was, you know, running strongly against this, oh, genial, good old grandfatherly Joe Biden, the elder statesman, you know, uh, the wise voice America needed. He, he really wasn't that kind of guy. And quite a few of us called it out, this, this gap between the Biden image and the Biden reality. But I also think that in, in the White House, this is actually getting worse. And you can argue about whether you think this ties into Biden's mental state. You can argue about whether you think this is uh, age catching up to him, whether this is just the stress of the job. 
Um, but you think about it, just the last couple of weeks or months, you know, stupid SOB to Peter Ducey, uh, snapping, what a stupid question. If you don't understand that, you're in the wrong business. He actually apologized I think, to CNN's Caitlin Collins over that one. And then in his recent press conference, you know, that is an interesting reading of English. I assume you got into journalism because you like to write, you know, Biden really has this, this prickliness that comes out when he gets any kind of pushback. And Holt's question is probably just about the most reasonable one you possibly could ask. Mr. President, in July, you said this was transitory and temporary inflation. Here we are. It's February, and it's the worst it's been in 40 years. Like that, that, This is about as fair. And yeah, it's a tough question, but welcome to the presidency. If you don't can't handle this stuff, don't get into it. And of course, you know, Holt, uh, you know Biden kind of gets tested and calls him a wise guy, you know. Um, the rest of his answer wasn't good either, but I, you, you and I have observed going back to, uh, that Biden usually didn't do it. And then when Biden really doesn't do press interviews is when things are going really, really wrong. Most notably Afghanistan. I think when Kabul fell, he really didn't appear in front of cameras, uh, for about four or five days. And when he did, it was very short statements. He was reading from a teleprompter. He wasn't taking any questions. And then he sat down for George Stephanopoulos. And that interview went terribly with the, hey, that was four or five days ago, man. You know, he just had this entirely emotionally inappropriate. That, that was when, you know, the strongest argument of, okay, there is something wrong with the president. He is not acting and reacting to things the way a man of sound mind, sound emotional state, uh, and, and ready to deal with these these duties of his office. And, you know, they came out in last, I guess, towards the end of... Uh, last year saying, no, no, the president's the tip shop shape, the best health. He's the healthiest 79 year old you've ever seen, et cetera, et cetera. The fact that Biden doesn't do sit down interviews and that when he does, he gets himself into trouble and he gets himself into trouble on really mundane, fair questions, I think is a, uh, a really unnerving sign as we head into a potential, you know, we're, we still have a whole bunch of you know, Dagwood sandwich of problems facing the country. We may have a potential serious crisis between Russia and Ukraine. But uh, and the thing is that that may not even be the worst thing he said in this interview, Greg, foreshadowing our second martini. No, that's exactly right. And uh, yeah, he's had some doozies already this week. He was doing an event uh, not far from uh, where I live, because I'm pretty sure I'm now in Abigail Spanberger's district in Virginia. So he went down there to talk about his uh, alleged efforts to uh, reduce the price of prescription drugs. And he ended up at one point referring to her as Abigail Congresswoman. So I don't know if he just misread the teleprompter or what was happening. But uh, it's oh, like there it. are 435 members of Congress. Okay. Okay, so he forgets the name of a member of Congress. It happens to all of us. It's not the end of the world. People who listen to this podcast have heard me, you know, forget names. And if you if you don't remember that, it's because Greg edited it out. Uh, <laughs> thanks for being there for me. Um, but the second thing is, um, I think when he's, you know, there's a time he clearly couldn't remember the name of Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin. And that was a little unnerving because he said the, the Secretary of Defense, the, the General... Thank him for doing it. And it was just like, there are names that maybe he doesn't, you know, think of or use all that often, like Abigail Spanberger, you know, but, but, but a secretary of defense, really, you know, but uh, that's not, yeah, again, but not even the worst uh, question of how much Biden remembers to come up yesterday. No, no, it's not. Good tease. Good tease. We'll get to that in a minute. Maybe Joe Biden just needs better sleep. Uh, if he does, uh, my pillow's there for you, Joe. Uh, you've got great pillows you can buy there. You've got the fantastic sheets, the towels, the slippers, the bathrobes, the mattress topper, all of it fantastic. And there's nothing better than slipping into bed with soft, comfortable sheets at the end of a long day. And the first night you sleep on the Giza Dream Sheets, you will never want to sleep on anything else. Trust me on this. By 
far the best sheets that we have. And for a limited time, you can get an amazing deal on the Giza Dream Sheets. Right now, for a limited time, you will receive 60% off any Giza Dream Sheets with a price as low as $39.99. But to get that deal, you have to use our promo code MARTINI at MyPillow.com. The Giza Dream Sheets are made from the world's best cotton, which is grown only in a region between the Sahara Desert, the Mediterranean Sea, and the Nile River. The long staple cotton makes these sheets ultra soft and breathable. The sateen weave gives them a luxurious finish, and they're available in a variety of colors and sizes. Also, the Giza Dream Sheets are machine washable. They come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. The four-inch hem on the flat sheet and pillowcases makes them easy to handle, and the fitted sheet comes with fully enclosed plastic hems with deep pockets. Save 60% right now on the Giza Dream Sheets flash sale. Go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square once you get there. Don't forget to do that. And then use the promo code Martini at checkout. Or call 800-874-0104 to get the Giza Dream Sheets for as low as $39.99. You'll also find deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. These will be gone in a flash, though, so head to MyPillow.com, promo code MARTINI, or call 800-874-0104. Sleep better with MyPillow.com. Well, as Jim mentioned, uh, that was not the worst part of President Biden's interview with Lester Holt of NBC News. His response to the debacle in Afghanistan, I think, is by far the worst part. And the clip you're about to hear starts a little bit late but for my taste. And so thanks to Jake Tapper for actually setting it up in a series of tweets today. He says, Lester Holt started the, the question this way. Uh, the Pentagon Afghanistan report interviewed many military officials and officers who said the administration ignored the handwriting on the wall. Another described trying to get folks in the embassy ready to evacuate and encountering people who were essentially in denial of the situation. Does any event ring true to you? And here's the exchange from there. No, that's not what I was told. That you were told that the U.S. administration officials were prepared, they knew it was time to get out? No, what I was told, no one told me that, look, there was no good time to get out. But if we had not gotten out, they acknowledged that we would have had to put a hell of a lot more troops back in. It wasn't just 2,000, 4,000. We would have to significantly increase the number of troops, and we'd be back in this, this war of attrition. And, it, and there was no way we were ever going to unite Ukraine. I mean, excuse me, Iraq, Afghanistan. No way that was going to happen. And so this is a much wiser thing to do. I just want to clarify, are you rejecting the conclusions or the, the accounts that are in this Army report? Yes, I am. So they're not, not true? I'm rejecting them. So, Jim, there's a number of things you can take away from this. First of all, you shouldn't take three cracks at it to get the right country that we're talking about here, President Biden. Uh, So either he was completely out of the loop, which is thoroughly concerning uh, on a situation of this importance, or he's just in complete denial. Uh, about how badly his administration handled this. What's your take? Well, let's keep in mind, there's this collapse in Ukraine scheduled, collapse in Iraq wouldn't surprise us, and Afghanistan, you know, so really, there are a lot of collapses going on, Greg. We, we got to <laughs> give them a little bit of, kind of a little slack. It's very hard to see which which foreign policy crisis we're talking about at the time. But now that I take my tongue out of my cheek, we can all kind of see what happened in the decision regarding Afghanistan. 
I think those of us who think that the decision has turned genuinely catastrophic for the Afghan people and for U.S. geosecurity and with tragic uh, consequences for uh, American military forces, for Americans still left on the ground there, for all of the green card holders and for all of the special immigrant visa holders over there, uh, that there was a way to do this. This was not the way to do this. And Biden likes to retreat back to uh, this argument that there were oh, either you did it this way with the all of the terrible consequences there were, or you wanted war in Afghanistan forever. There were only two options, and that uh, every time he gets confronted on this. Now the thing is, is that also he acts like all of this was either entirely foreseeable and went according to plan, or that there was no way any of this possibly could have been handled any better. Even though we keep seeing evidence that the intelligence community, and in some cases the generals who were briefing Biden, have said. Yes, we have told him keep Bagram Air Base open. We have told him keep you know, uh, you know keep two thousand five hundred troops in in country. It is fairly clear that President Biden ignored the military advice. He could have said to them, "I want to tweak it." He could have said, to, in the end, it was not the military saying uh, we have to keep the present level of troops the way they are. They said we got to keep this small amount to keep the airports open, and we got to keep this small amount to ensure our people can get out. And Biden said, "No, no, do it by this date. It has to be by a certain day." It went terribly, terribly wrong. I think what's frustrating about that exchange, Greg, is that we, we now know that the, the reason we know Biden's decision making is indefensible is that he himself can't defend it. He himself cannot say this. And so he just says, I, I reject the assessment of the generals. I reject this report. He's basically calling the army liars. Now, as of our recording of this, uh, Blinken is supposed to do join Saki for the White House press conference today. I cannot help but wonder if one of the things he's going to try to do is to walk back the president's comments. Yet another case of cleanup on aisle six. No, the president of the United States is not calling the U.S. Army liars. Um, but in the way, that's what he that's what he was doing in this interview. And I think that's where Biden goes. And this is kind of in the same ballpark of what we were talking about in our first martini. That Biden, whatever whatever you know, synapses and. Uh, neurons were working up in Biden. They're not working the way they used to. And so when he gets backed into a corner like this, where the honest answer would be, yeah, I wanted everybody out, and I, you know, these are the consequences of my decision. It's terrible. It's, it would be a very painful answer, but it would be an honest answer. He can't give that answer. So his default has to be that everybody else is lying. And I will re remind you, earlier this year, after Austin and others had testified to Congress that they had recommended keeping 2,500 troops there, keeping the airports open and things like that, Biden said he was never told that. So there's one of two possibilities here. Biden is lying or Biden genuinely, I've taken him at his word. He does not remember what he was told in this briefings. And that's where I start asking, okay, how much does Biden remember what he's told? How much does Biden absorb what he is told in these briefings? And I think that is one of the scariest things about having a 79-year-old president, Greg. I think that's a good point. The question now becomes, when you look at the prime players in this whole debacle, I'm almost drawn to the conclusion that Austin and Millie might be the most competent, and that's terrifying. Yes, yes, we're we, we're not fans of them. <laughs> and by the way, if, if I suppose, like, if you wanted to, if if Biden really a, a semi plausible spin would be, these guys are trying to play in CYA. They're trying to protect, cover their butts, and trying to uh, make it sound like. Uh, they were more certain in their intelligence assessments and their assurances than they really were at the time. I suppose that's possible. Um, that would look like the problem is that would look like Biden is throwing the staff under the under the bus, and that would also mean you know Biden is saying my staff is lying to you about what they told me. Right, that opens its own separate can of worms there. So there is no good you know, winnable situation. I think the, the administration's attitude is well, we'll just wait until people forget about Afghanistan. 
You might argue that they have, but I noticed the president's approval rating has not recovered from that sudden drop it took around the time of the Afghanistan withdrawal. And I cannot help but get the feeling that's a big factor in it, that basically whatever benefit of the doubt Americans were giving him up until that point, the images of the withdrawal were so chaotic and so humiliating and so horrifying that Americans began to realize, oh, God, the adults are not in charge anymore. This guy who's been strutting around the stage saying America is back doesn't really know what he's doing. And we're going to have some very bad consequences because of all this. You are exactly right about that. The American people might not specifically be thinking of Afghanistan when they think of Joe Biden right now, since it was a number of months ago. And there are other problems that are more uh, imminent right now, including inflation and you know the prices everybody's paying. But that is the tip of the iceberg. That was the moment that people lost complete confidence in Joe Biden. And everything since there has just been confirmation of that. That is the one where he lost his credibility and he hasn't gotten it back. And given his performance lately, again, on questions like this, it's hard to think of how he could get it back. And there was also, you know, uh, you know, a reasonable follow up. What about the people in Ukraine? And his response last night was basically, how are we supposed to find him? Uh, and today they're they're walking that back and saying, eh, actually, if you're there, you should probably get out. So, uh, you know, <laughs> getting this guy in front of a camera is a public relations nightmare. It's all clean up after the after the fact. Yeah. And, but, you know, but George Packer wrote this really long piece in The Atlantic about a week or two ago. And uh, it was a really, you know, thorough and generally brutal assessment of Biden. But I love I love the line where he basically pointed out the degree to which empathy was the the drum that they kept beating on the 2020 Biden campaign. And Packer, I think, correctly observed, Biden's empathy is entirely dependent on how close you are to him. If you're his people, his party, his family, his immediate circle, if he needs something from you, he's very empathetic. But the Afghans on the ground, not his problem. Not his problem, doesn't care, solve it yourself. And I think that's a uh, anybody who spent a lot of time emphasizing and singing hosannas to Biden's empathy probably should spend some time in the corner thinking about what they did and yeah. contemplating the errors of their lives. All right, on to our crazy martini now, Jim. And once again, we're spending time in Loudoun County, Virginia. But this time, the school board gets a break. Take the day off, Loudoun County School Board. We're not even talking about you today. Uh, this is courtesy of the Free Beacon. A George Soros-backed prosecutor in Northern Virginia is under fire after a registered sex offender was hired to work in her office. The offender briefly served as a paralegal in Loudoun County Commonwealth's attorney Buddha Bibaraj's office. He was dismissed from the post only after his probation officer made inquiries about his employment status with Bibaraj's office. Quote, I was kind of surprised how quickly the process went, the unidentified offender said in an interview with the local Fox affiliate, Fox 5. Quote, and I was expecting there to be a background check, of course. I mean, everybody does a background check these days. Federal authorities raided the sex offender's home in late 2013 and found over 600 images of child pornography. The materials show children engaged in sexually explicit behavior and in some cases depicted children involved in sadistic conduct. Some of the children featured in the materials are kidnapping and trafficking victims, according to the filings. Enough of the the narrative, the backstory there. You get the picture. It's disgusting. Uh, Jim, how does a prosecutor's office not do a background check? I mean, I know this person is a far lefty if they got bankrolled by George Soros. But I mean, this county's just in a free fall. Greg, many troubling questions come from this among them. So who else is working in this office? Right. What do you have to do to not get hired? by the Buddha Bibaraj uh, Commonwealth's attorney's office. And, you know, I, I'm I'm baffled by this. And, and the other thing is, is that like, 
you know, unpaid parking tickets. Like there are a bunch of wrongdoing. There are a bunch of minor crimes that Americans are willing to, or Virginians are willing to look the other way on. Or, you know, we have this attitude of if you, you know, serve your sentence, you've paid your debt to society. But child pornography? Yeah, sorry, pal. Most people are not going to cut you a lot of slack on that one. Um, And it really does, look, you know, it is not surprising you refer to this is referred to as a George Soros backed prosecutor. There's been this effort to put, you know, not even like moderate lefties, you know, uh, there are certain aspects of the criminal justice reform agenda that I think are very defensible. I think most notably, and if you've read my coverage of the Koch Network's winter meetings, uh, anti recidivism programs, right? The idea of when somebody does something wrong, you want to uh, make sure that you put them on the path to not breaking the law again, right? This can be helping them get their GEDs, this can be job training, this can be mentorship programs, this can be treatment programs if they have addiction. You want to put them in a situation where they're not going to go out and commit the same crime again. And I think most Americans ha- are on board with that. I think that they, uh, you know, this is, the folks who promote these things are quick to emphasize, it's not about reducing sentences. It's about what happens to them once you let them out of jail. Now, I also, I think we'd like to help people who are convicted of crimes go out and get jobs, but... Um, Child porn guys into the prosecutor's office. No, <laughs> that's too much. That you know, uh, to say nothing if they point out all of the you know wide range of sensitive information that this guy would have. But then you're just kind of left wondering, like, what? Uh, you know, what? What is you know? How did this get through? Did they simply not check? Are they simply not checking? Are they not doing criminal background checks on anybody who goes to work for the uh, county prosecutor's office? Just utterly mind-boggling and. Uh, uh, I just, you know, you look at that, and I think all my local officials look at that thing. At least it wasn't us this time. <laughs> you asked the question in there, Jim. What do you have to do to not get hired by this office? I would say there are two criteria. One, be a Republican or a conservative. And two, uh, be interested in actually prosecuting the law. Yeah, they, they really should double check the, the, you know, the job description. Because that's, that's really one of those you had one job kind of situations. Yes, yeah. These Soros prosecutors, they don't seem to be all that interested in, you know, prosecuting which is kind of a big part of the job. Uh, Anyway, Jim, uh, as we exit here, two quick items, uh, football-related. First of all, uh, the Hall of Fame class of 2022 was announced last night. A little bit disappointed that Devin Hester did not get in on his uh, first ballot, but uh, a lot of people are saying, you know, he was uh, a special teams guy, and sometimes that takes a few extra years. I accept that, I guess. Uh, He was certainly the best, in my opinion, to ever do it. So hopefully he gets in soon. Uh, One quick story, though. One of the other uh, people who did get in was uh, Leroy Butler, former safety for the Green Bay Packers. And back in the early 90s, I was, of course, surrounded by Packer fans where I grew up in northern Michigan. Uh, And as a Bears fan, we were never good when they were good. So when they started to get good in the early 90s, the Bears were not. And so... I was, you know, mildly happy and and genuinely happy for my friends who are Packer fans who had not seen a lot of success in a long time. And so the day after Christmas in 1993, uh, my good friend Peter and I went to Lambeau Field to watch uh, the Packers play the Raiders. And in that game, the Packers clinched their first playoff game in a non-strike year since like 1972. But late in the game, and it was well below zero windchill. So, you know, the Los Angeles Raiders at that time were really enjoying their day in Green Bay. And uh, so the Raiders fumble. Reggie White picks it up. He's not going to make it to the end zone because he's, you know, not that fleet of foot. So he laterals to Leroy Butler, who takes it all the way in and then jumps into the crowd, which was the first ever Lambeau leap. Uh, But also uh, we have uh, the Bengals and the Rams in the Super Bowl on Sunday. Jim. If the Bengals win, both of us can say our teams beat them. So I guess I'm kind of cheering for the Bengals. And, uh, you know, most people would probably 
future for uh, the Bengals over the Rams anyway. Uh, but wh- how are you looking at it? I, I, so I, I've always believed, up until the Patriots won during one of Brady's Super Bowls, there had been this long streak into you know probably 30-some Super Bowls that if you lost to the Jets, you did not go on to win the championship. If we beat you, we ruined your season. There was no way you're going to win the championship. And I've always kind of subscribed to this idea that if the Jets beat you, you should be automatically eliminated from the playoffs <laughs> because there are no excuses. Um, yeah, so if, I guess if the Bengals win, I can then say, hey, the Jets under quarterback Mike White, which sounds like an alias, uh, <laughs> has managed to go out and, and beat the, the Bengals. Um, I, I, I said I'll be rooting for the Rams, but this is one of those years I think I'm just going to enjoy the game. Uh, I have a, I know, I don't really, I don't have a huge rooting interest for Matthew Stafford, but considering the sheer number of times you've had players who are uh, really good and the teams just never managed to win a Super Bowl, uh, in the case of the Lions, I don't know, I think they only made the playoffs once or twice under Stafford's years and never seemed to go very far. For Stafford to go out and have a chance to win a Super Bowl, it'd be a great way for him to say, hey, it wasn't me. I always was pretty good. I just couldn't elevate that, you know, really particularly sad franchise. And I think Joe Burrow will have a lot of chances to win a Super Bowl in what I think is going to be a long and very successful career. So I, I have a nominal rooting interest for the Rams, but by and large, uh, I think you know it's just going to be a good game. Hope to have some good commercials, um, you know. And then I don't know about you, it's just you know the problem with the Super Bowl is then there's that morning afterwards where you're like, God, it's a long way to training camp. <laughs> Don't forget the draft, Jim. That's the most exciting time of the year for our team. It's a draft, a free agency. Actually, yeah, offseason for the Jets is traditionally much more interesting than the actual season. But uh, <laughs> it's just nice having that autumn, you know, what, here's what you're going to do on your Sunday afternoons that uh, will be coming to an end, unfortunately. And also, considering the great playoffs we've had in the last couple of weeks, it'll be sad to see that. But, uh, yeah, so looking forward to it. And, uh, you know, also it's another argument. To, you know, we will be back on Monday. But remember, if I ever get elected president, the Monday after the Super Bowl is becoming a federal holiday. <laughs> I would support that too. Definitely. Yeah. Good luck to both teams. Uh, I will not be upset uh, either way. Uh, I like Matthew Stafford. Uh, I'm glad he's got an opportunity, but the Bengal fans, uh, you know, for 30 years, you've suffered a lot. <laughs> so to have this chance, uh, good luck to you as well. And so Jim, have a great weekend. See you Monday. See you Monday, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Please tell your friends about us as well. Thank you so much for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Those always help us out. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch Podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great weekend. And please join us again on Monday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn joins me to discuss the Biden administration handing out crack pipes to drug addicts in the name of racial equity. Can you believe this? I'm Sarah Carter on the latest Sarah Carter Show. I'll also tell you what I've seen here in Canada as the Freedom Convoy helps to loosen COVID restrictions north of the border and in our own country as well. Join me. Follow the Sarah Carter Show at Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 
18 plus. Cartels are exploiting Indian reservations to get into America and our federal government can't be bothered to stop it. Hey, y'all, it's Sarah Carter from The Sarah Carter Show. I just got back from two trips to our southern border and I want to take you inside a huge hotspot where thousands of migrants are coming into America every day. I was with a member of the National Border Patrol Council when the Border Patrol nabbed multiple illegal migrants who are breaking U.S. law, and I have the exclusive audio. For all this and more, subscribe to The Sarah Carter Show on your favorite podcast app.